Tribute that particular greeting to a nice frosty glass of homemade lemonade. You know, we don't we, we don't always keep soda around the house. We're not in a big soda drinker house here. I do like one occasionally, like a Dr. Pepper or a Pepsi. But my wife, you know, forever when it came to lemonade, I would do just like country time or some kind of mix. And then my wife, you know, she showed me what her family has always done, which is to, to mix two cups of sugar about maybe a cup. I usually do a little bit closer to a cup and a half of lemon juice and uh, then just in your gallon jug there and mix it up with the the rest of the, the space being water and it makes a very delightful lemonade. You know, it's just a couple of basic ingredients. You don't need much more than that though and it's a very refreshing drink. Like I say, I like buying a little bit more tart than they do theirs. There's a, there's a funny recurring joke with my in-laws because apparently at one point um, my father-in-law tried to make this, and he wound up doing two cups of lemon juice to one cup of sugar. And while it, I'm sure it wasn't bad, it was probably way too tart, even for me, someone who enjoys lemons and whatnot. I have always liked the flavor of lemon, and it's <laughs> we're getting deeper and deeper as we go into the story here, folks. But I, you know, I have always enjoyed lemon. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, where did the appreciation and enjoyment of lemon come from? Well, oddly enough, my mom, while I was in the womb, actually enjoyed eating lemons. Not just like, you know, biting into a lemon whole scale as you would an apple, but, you know, peeling it as you would an orange and enjoying a lemon in that regard. It's just, you know, it's, it's one of those odd things that a pregnant woman, she got a taste for it and that was one of her things not pickles not ice cream she liked lemons so whatever maybe that attributes some of the other acidic nature of my personality if you want to call it that and whatnot but it's you know we we like we like our lemonade around here i like you know a nice lemon ice box pie occasionally that's yeah that's one of the other things that my wife she always calls me an old soul because i like stuff of that nature yeah it just i'm just old period i grew up with my grandparents for crying out loud i, I ate stuff like egg custard pie and you know the lemon ice box pies that kind of thing because we'd go to the, the cafeteria there in rock hill in south carolina if you've never been to that cafeteria there i forget what the jackson's i think was the name of it um it was always had a, a great dessert lineup, and that was you know a couple of the things that we always enjoyed there. Me and my grandmother when we'd go, you know, out shopping or out for a day together. But you know, unfortunately, those are days gone by. Old grandma, she's no longer with us, unfortunately. But you know, it's just it's fun to reminisce. It's fun to do some thinking back on times of old, and really push you guys down a rabbit hole with all kind of just nincompoop thoughts that come up in my brain as I'm starting these shows. I always try and do something entertaining 
to bring these things out. I hope I am bringing out some decent stories there. But, you know, it's also very weird and also very, I'll say, maybe too personal at times. Whatever. How you doing, folks? Glad to be back with you. We missed you last week. Where were you? Or where was I? That was a better question there. Didn't get to record last weekend, unfortunately. Had a little too much going on. We were a little busy with uh, things of certain project nature and whatnot. We were also out and about. Yes, got out and about. Didn't spend the whole weekend cooped up in the house as we have here for the past couple of months. I actually went out and enjoyed ourselves a little bit. We're going to talk about that in the second segment of the show. But, you know, even with having that little bit of a, a scent, you'll say, of an experience of normalcy there, we're still in good old weird 2020. But now, of course, we're in political season. And before I say this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present a piece of advice that was given to me a long time ago whenever I uh, was working for Alltel back a long time ago. People don't even remember what Alltel is now anymore. Alltel was one of the companies that got bought up in one of the telecom mergers over the years. Had a pretty good footprint here in the southeast. They were based around Arkansas and whatnot, so in SEC country, you know, Southeastern Conference, uh, they were somewhat well-known in that part of the world, but I used to work for them. And at one point in one of the sort of sales meetings we had, they were talking about things that we were encouraged to do with our customers as far as conversation is concerned. Because, you know, there were times where you're activating equipment and whatnot where you're going to have some quiet moments there. And it's, it's just, it's one of those things where you don't want to be in total dead silence around people. You want to have some type of conversation going there. And plus, it helps to build rapport with your customer. But they told us several things to never talk about around your customer because of how divisive you potentially can create a situation. And that was religion and politics. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about politics. I'm not going to touch religion. I'm not quite that strong yet maybe or bold i guess i should have said but politics of course we're in the political season now because we are approaching we're actually yes at the point in time i'm recording this we are right at one month away from the november 2020 general election where we will decide the president of the united states for the next four years and who boy did we get off to a crazy start here the other night with that first debate did you watch that thing i know i'm a little bit behind here in talking about this because it's a couple days old now but man alive did you watch that thing this had to be the most incredulous scenario situation whatever you want to call it of any political debate of the modern era now i you know you can't Go back in the time to those eras of people like Theodore Roosevelt and all those guys being around. I'm sure they had some crazy shit going on in whatever kind of uh, format they used to debate in. I'm sure they had debates back in that era. But man alive, just you know, this thing here, I I tried to compare it to anything that you that you could really think of. Of course, the only real justifiable comparison is something like the Jerry Springer show. And that's the honest to God's truth, because this is just, you know, you have, and even if you pay attention to various international uh, 
news sites and whatnot. Like I, I was trying to watch the BBC's coverage of this thing because they do a much more sort of flatline, uh, not really dull sort of rah rah, sis boom bah, you know, barking heads type thing. Theirs is a little bit more easy to consume and to digest than most of our. Uh, news channels around here, definitely you know, Fox News, CNN, any of the cable news channels, you can just go and put that to bed immediately because, for one, you're going to be looking at inundated, or you're going to be inundated by graphics that are pretty difficult to really get past. But also, then you have the personalities of whoever's covering that thing to be, you know, pushed aside there as well. So I enjoy the BBC's coverage, but man. Yeah, it's it's such a just crazy presentation for one, because you have the the two old men there, as we've already more or less accepted that this is going to be our fate here, who are going to be the next president in some way, shape, or form, and when they get into it, it it's of course a sparring match there between one another. And they have the, the rules that have been presented to where it's like, okay, well, you'll get two minutes, then you get your time, and then you get the response to that. And immediately they start barking at each other in such a way that that's not going to be, you know, the, the rules are not going to matter at all. You know, they've sort of, <laughs> they've gotten, you know, if you were to put it in wrestling context, they've signed an agreement to have a traditional wrestling match, and then somebody brings in a ladder. And the referee says, okay, well, I'll allow it. What? And it just kept going downhill from there in terms of the way this thing devolved into just a shouting match. And it, it really is a farce at this point in time. There is no point to continuing these things. I would say probably better than 90% of people have already made up their minds as to who they're voting for. If you haven't... I'd be shocked. I, I would say better than 90%. I think most people already could say if the election were to happen tomorrow that they have already made up their mind. And this debate probably solidified that for a lot of people in more than one way. Because you had so many things that were just talked about and really hammered home in terms of not only the way one versus another would choose to handle whatever given topic you're talking about there, but also just, you know, in terms of the cadence and the ability to handle yourself in a scenario like that. Now, you know, it, it was very disrespectful the, the whole way around. The moderator there, you know, he, he lost control very early on. You know, the joke was we needed somebody other than this guy to be the moderator. And you have all the memes that come out saying, oh, we're going to have Samuel L. Jackson be the moderator next time, or Medea, or someone new who could get in there and seemingly be a controller of these two men. And I don't, uh, you know, even if the personalities of those people were genuine in some way, shape, or form, I still don't think you would get to a point where either of these guys would actually listen to what they had to say because they're just going to get in there and they're going to run their mouths. Even with Biden telling Trump to shut up at one point in time made no difference whatsoever. I mean, Trump's not going to shut up, and Biden, you know, he's not going to, he shouldn't rear back either, to be honest with you, because if, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander, you know? So it, this whole disrespectful thing, this farce went over, and, you know, again, looking at the international reaction of this, it's like people know how bad it is here in terms of our 
or leadership. I don't think people internationally look bad or they don't look down upon us as the citizenry. They look at you know, the people that we have up there and they're just like, what in the world? And I kind of think they have to look down on us in some regard because, you know, we did choose most of these people you know, and put them in office ourselves. But that's where, the, you know, the breakdown happens there between them seeing, okay, well, not everybody voted for the one that's there now. There were some who didn't, uh, but there were a lot who did. And I wasn't one of them. I didn't vote for either of the main parties last time. I'm probably not voting for either of the main parties this time either. But be that as it may, in the days that have you know, transpired since the debate, the other big news of the day, of course, the president and Melania and a lot of their associates have tested positive for COVID-19. And some of the timelines suggest that there's a possibility he was likely either sick or in some way, shape, or form already exposed when the debate took place. So you have the potential for him to have gotten up on that stage. Now, granted, they didn't shake hands. They didn't really come near each other. But you had the potential for him to have been up on that stage knowingly carrying the virus and being potentially capable of spreading it. And yet he was still there. And yet he did several other things in the days following that, which had him in situations to where he was not wearing a mask, but he was still appearing in public. He was not wearing a mask, but he was still around a lot of people. And it just, it it's like, what were you thinking? And of course, people will say he probably wasn't thinking at all. And that's, you know, realistically, that's probably true. That or he was thinking, you know, I'm fine. I'll I'll be fine. You know, whatever. But just the the situation there, you know, a lot of people have said, you know, it's ironic, it's karma, it's whatever, in saying, oh, look at that. The big orange, you know what, got sick. After all these months of saying it's not a big deal, it's not something that, you know, we should be worried about. He got sick. Ha ha. Now he's got to deal with his own, you know, comeuppance and whatnot. And, you know, this has been nothing but another divisive moment for our country, in my opinion. Because you have people who, of course, don't like Trump. I'm not a fan of his either, I'll go ahead and say. But you have the people who are not fans of his. And then you have the people who are not fans of his and want him to die from this thing. And it's been it's been very telling to look at social media and whatnot. Because, you know, I'm I'm of one of these people who says it's terrible the things that he's said, things that he's done. But I still wouldn't wish death on somebody. I mean I, or or suffering in some way, shape or form. It's you know, it's one of those deals where it's like, okay, I I would like to think I have enough moral character to even if it's someone that I didn't really agree with. Now here here's where here's where I'll draw the line. If it was someone who had in some way, shape or form personally injured me, my family, and my son, my wife, uh my mom, anybody along those lines, then yeah, I could I could probably see where wishing death on them is perfectly justifiable. But just you know, this is a guy who realistically what involvement does he have in my day to day life? Really and truly not that much. So 
to wish that they in some way, shape, or form would suffer because of this. You know, I, I'm not I'm not really sure how that, I think about that. I, I don't I don't think I agree with it. But at the same time, you know, so many people have such a big problem with Trump and with the notion that he's brought forth or the notions that he's brought forth as president. Uh, I don't know. It, it's real hard to, to digest a lot of this, folks. Because, you know, I know people are upset. I know people think that a lot of this is, you know, the conditions that we're in are his fault. But, it, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, can we at least be mature enough not to say, okay, we wish you were dead? You know, that kind of thing. You know, whatever. I, I don't know. I'm probably going to put a lot of people in, out of my favor in saying some things of that nature. But, you know, I don't agree with him. I didn't vote for him. I don't support, you know, I'd say better than 90% of the things that he has to say. But I'm still, I'm not going to be one of those people who says, yeah, he deserves to die that from COVID or that his family deserves to die from COVID. Uh, it just is what it is. You know, I, I can't go that far with this. I hope he recovers. I hope he comes out of this okay. It would be very bad if he did not recover, obviously, for our country, because within this narrow of a timeline, I'm not real sure what would happen because, you know, your your actual um, president at that point, if he were to succumb to the virus, would be Mike Pence, the vice president. So then suddenly are we voting for him versus Biden? You know, what's that going to be like? It's just a crazy, crazy thing. And like we said before, it's a crazy, crazy year. And it's going to continue to be all the way down through Election Day. Because as I was talking earlier in the, the um, segment, we're less than a month away from Election Day here in this country. And suddenly there's talk of all this stuff related to the election about you know the difficulties with absentee voting, mail-in voting. And you know some of that I have personal dealing with because my occupation deals with local government, and part of it is supporting a elections office. So you have all these concerns about absentee voting, concerns about violence at the polls. You know the, there were the, you know that I don't even know what it was. I haven't really looked into it, but the statement where some, but I guess Trump said something that was uh, some kind of a trigger towards a white supremacist group. I mean, what the heck was that? And, you know, it just lunacy abounds here, people. Anything you can do to not contribute to this, please, please, please do it. If that means, you know, getting an absentee ballot or voting early, whatever your state classifies it as, people you know, people in South Carolina, they, they believe that they have the right and ability to vote early. Technically, you don't. Technically, you're engaging in what's called absentee voting, where you have to have some kind of a reason for not being able to participate on the actual election day. Well, the thing of that is, when you go to apply for an absentee ballot, they ask you, well, what's your reason for not being able to come to the polls? But they're not going to check behind you. If you tell them, you know, you're going to be off work that day, or you, I'm sorry, if you have to work that day, they're not going to call your boss and say, oh, yeah, this, this is so-and-so, the such-and-such county election office is so-and-so there today. Oh, he is. Oh, well, fantastic. He's got a legitimate reason. 
or if you know the, the other cheek were to be turned there and you uh, weren't at work, you know they're not going to check behind you. Period is the point here. So you know you can tell them whatever. If you want to get an absentee, get an absentee. If you don't want to be there on election day, because Lord knows people are now saying, oh, there's going to be violence at the polls. Violence. There's going to be this and the other. There's no credible evidence that I'm aware of of that whatsoever. And again, you know, it's it's one of those deals to where in certain parts of the country, maybe sure it might happen, but in small areas like where we're from, where I live, I don't see it happening. I don't I don't see that being a concern for us. But still, you know, we're we're very close, as I mentioned, to the election. Still encourage you to participate in some way, shape, or form. If you're listening to this now, since we're within a month of the election, you probably are at a point where, unless you've already registered, you won't be able to get registered to participate in this election. But you know, if you're registered, if you can vote, find some way to participate. There are way too many things going on that you can have a decision, or that you can have a uh, a hand in making the decision for this country right now to not participate in some way, shape, or form, either through absentee voting or voting in person. Just check it out, man. I mean, just do what you can. Get involved in some way, shape, or form. I I think most of the election staff around the country have probably already been solidified. If not, they're probably getting pretty close because... You know, there's lots of opportunities normally to volunteer to participate as an election staff member working at the polls. And that was something that, you know, a lot of our local offices had a struggle with because in COVID world, as we are, there was, you know, a move towards trying to encourage a younger uh, volunteer force to work as poll managers and poll staff because they're all volunteers. There are no actual um, full-time poll workers in this country. There, of course, are election staff that work at each county office, but there's no full-time election staff in terms of the people that man the individual polling stations. So if you have an opportunity to volunteer, if you're not doing anything, if you're able to get out of work or school or whatever for that day, see if you can volunteer. There are offices all around the country that would be glad to have you because really all it takes is an able body. It's it's one of those things where you hate to say, oh, all we need is a warm body for this to, to work properly. But really and truly, it's pretty much it. Election systems, they're not difficult anymore. They're not really hard to get around in. Not near what they were whenever I first started working with these things. So if you have a chance and you want to volunteer, get involved. There there are plenty of opportunities. But in some way, shape, or form, just participate in the election period. If you're going to vote, vote. If you want to vote and be a poll manager or whatnot, fantastic. If you want to even get really involved and actually run for an office, Oh, now you're just hot shit, aren't you? But good for you. I'm glad for you. I'm proud of you to have that kind of wherewithal to want to go forward with something like that. But, you know, it's just it's one of those things where we want to encourage people to participate, period. Because as a person who's involved in a lot of the prep work that goes into making sure an election goes down from a technical standpoint, we just, you know, we want to make sure people are there. And from the look of things, We've had tremendous turnout already in terms of uh, people coming in for absentee ballots and whatnot. Uh, we actually get underway at the office that I'm with this week in terms of in-person absentee voting, and that's going to be crazy. That's really going to be something else there. 
So we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to seeing how this whole thing shakes down. Uh, whether you vote for Biden, whether you vote for Trump, or whether you vote third party, you know, whatever. It, participate. That's the main thing there. In some way, shape, or form, get involved and be a part of what will almost certainly be the biggest election of our lifetime. So we're going to call it a day for our political talk here. We're going to take a break. We're going to get some tunes rolling here. We'll be back in a few to talk about something much more interesting, something that is also fighting but is also much more entertaining, and that being pro wrestling. Be back here in a few, folks. Stay tuned.
welcome back. Thank you for continuing to hang out with us here on the Weekly Trim Podcast. I don't even think I mentioned the podcast name or the date or any of that normal stuff that I get into in the first segment there. I was so riled up about wanting to get into what we had going there and that kind of crazy first story I started off on. Didn't mention anything about the fact that this is the October 5th, 2020 edition of the program. And we are glad to have you with us here on the Rest of the Redbeard YouTube channel or the Anchor.fm platform or wherever else you might be consuming this content. We appreciate you being out there and being involved with what we're doing. And if you want to hang around, give us a comment, like, subscription, all that cool stuff that us as online entities are supposed to beg you for, that would be fantastic. So we appreciate your patronage, appreciate your involvement with what we're doing here on the old Weekly Trim podcast with yours, Beardly. So now we, um, so I talked about in the opening segment there how last weekend, you know, I didn't have a chance to record a show, but I was, I was just played busy. I had a lot going on. And the main thing that took up most of my Saturday, most of my Saturday afternoon anyway, uh, my Saturday morning is always laundry. <laughs> it's almost always laundry. And it's my laundry. I don't do my wife's laundry, but I do my laundry. I do my son's laundry. I do our towels. You know, it, it takes up a good bit of time. That's three big loads of laundry there. But it got into the afternoon, and guess what? It was time to go to the wrestling matches. <sighs> Hadn't seen a show since I think it was January. I want to say it was uh, it was roughly eight months almost to the day between the last show we went to before COVID world became a thing and this show here. And oddly enough, I think it was even for the same promotion, that being Palmetto championship wrestling, two different venues, uh, two different scenarios entirely because the, the previous show we went to with them, they, they had the misfortune of the, the, this was a brand new ring they had just gotten, but it uses the, WWE style ropes, which if you're not familiar with ring construction and whatnot, typically wrestling rings are going to use one of two things for their ropes, quote unquote ropes. Um, one of them is actual steel cable that has sort of a hydraulic tubing out on the outside of it. Um, those are more common. That's what, um, for example, like companies like Ring of Honor, uh, Impact, a lot of your major independent promotions use things of that nature. Pretty much the only one who uses real ropes is WWE. And there's, you know, often people think they're bungee cords because of the fact that they look like they're stretching and whatnot. It's not that they're stretching. They're actually just being hit with enough force that they're being pulled in one direction or another. So it, uh, it, it's interesting to see. But, yeah, it, uh, it's, it's very much a actual rope and not a bungee cord. But this ring uses the rope-style ropes. Talk about a tongue twister there. But at some point during the move of the ring from their training facility there with the Palmetto Wrestling Academy to the venue and putting up the ring and tightening the ropes, one of them popped. And then apparently another one popped. So they were down to basically one rope. Of course, you can't really have a situation like that because the ropes are there in a format to provide stability and to provide a surface for you know guys to use as containment and for other things. So at that first show back early part of the year, they actually ran with no ropes. It was a cool presentation because it was like blood sport, you know. It's like, oh, we're having blood sport here now. This is awesome. 
course, with no blood or no extreme violence. It just it was it was cool from the standpoint of forcing these guys to really be creative with how they were putting their matches together because there were no ropes. But fortunately for the show we went to last weekend, ropes were intact. They look great. This is a big, nice 20 by 20 foot ring that they've got. A lot of rings in this area are either 16 by 16 or 18 by 18. This is an actual 20 footer. So it's a big ring to begin with, but they've got some really cool looking side skirts there at Palmetto championship wrestling. Uh, even their turnbuckle pads are very coolly done because they're, again, WWE-style turnbuckle pads. Uh, they had their logos on them. Very slick presentation all the way around. And this was the first time they had been at this particular venue, which is Seven Oaks Park in the sort of Harbison, Irmo district of Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, didn't really know where I was going when I set off to go to this venue. But it turned out to be in a very familiar area. I just had no idea that there was a venue there. Um, this, as I said, this is in the sort of Irmo part of Columbia. Uh, if you go to Harbison, uh, for shopping or dining, whatever, uh, you probably have driven, well, you, well, I'd say you wouldn't definitely, but you, you likely have, uh, maybe seen or driven by this thing at some point in time. Um, cause it's, it's very close to that part of, um, town or, or, or Columbia, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's very convenient to get to because it's off the interstate there. So very nice in terms of not having to be a, you know, a venue that you wind up going 12 miles or 20 miles off the interstate to get to. In some cases, you know, been some backwoods area. This one was very, uh, very prominent in terms of positioning. The thing, the thing that was funny, and this is one of those deals that we, you know, we've experienced before in going to a venue that has sort of a shared space to it, is that when we got there, it was like, you know, and again, you're you're relying, like at least I was anyway, on um, Google Maps to tell you where you're going. You wind up going in this area where it, it's a parking lot, of course. And it's like, where are all these people? There's cars everywhere. Where are all these people? I'm on time. Surely I'm not that late. And it turns out that there are baseball fields attached to the venue, and there's travel ball happening. So you've got all these families and kids and everything else who are there to play baseball, not to see wrestling. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, I hope they had somebody down there handing out flyers to these kids and families. Because even you know, if you've got 200 cars down there and you get just 10% of them to come to your show, then that's you know that's a good chunk of change there in terms of potential ticket revenue. Even with you know that's one of the things we're going to talk about here in a moment. Even with the limitations in terms of the amount of people that they could allow into the venue, even you know get to a point where you're you're having to turn people away, and you know then be done with it. That would be a great thing to have happen. But as we Got to where the venue actually was. It was like, oh, okay, well, there's the gymnasium. There's the actual building. Okay, I feel better now because there weren't as many people in that parking lot. There were people already lined up to get into the venue whenever I got there, though, so that was cool to see. And that was one of the worries that I had was that when wrestling comes back, it's it's like, are people still going to want it? Are people still going to want to go to shows? And very clearly, yes, they do. Because within short order, there were 50 people in line. Not exactly physically spaced the way you want them to be, but they were still, they weren't, you know, standing on top of each other. Everyone was wearing masks, though. 
Uh, the promotion did a very good job of putting it out there on social media to say, okay, well, if you're coming to the show, please have your mask ready in advance when you're in line and whatnot. So people were adhering to that. People were listening. So that was a great thing there. As we came into the venue, it was a situation to where uh, you either had your ticket or you were going to buy one, of course. I uh, bought mine in advance. I try and buy mine in advance just because it makes it more simple in terms of getting in to these venues. But uh, once you got in there, you had, for the most part, people who wanted to sit around the ringside area. In those cases, you had uh, some attendants from PCW who were assisting people with their chairs. They didn't have chairs set out in advance. They were taking people with their uh, chairs to wherever they wanted to sit in the arena, setting up the chairs, and then the attendants were actually uh, using some uh, cleansers. I don't know if it was just straight bleach or what, but it was some type of cleanser they were using to clean the chairs before everyone sat down in them. So they were you know, taking every possible consideration there in terms of providing a, a safe, cleanly, hygienic atmosphere for someone to sit in. And they, for the most part, you had people who were sitting in groups who were... Uh, that, well, let me back up. They were sitting in groups according to the group that came with. You didn't have you know, a big cluster of like 30 people who just decided, oh, I want to sit right here. They were all spaced out pretty well. And I think you know, overall, I think promotion did a very good job of making sure that this was a safe fan environment. Because um, even like with me, for example, I, I'm one who tends to sit back on the bleachers. I like to be in the back of the room. Because, again, I know how big I am. I know how tall I am. I don't want to be in the way of someone being able to view an event like this. It just, you know, it would get on my nerves if I was someone who paid for a ticket or whatnot. And I don't want to, I don't want to cause somebody to not enjoy an event by virtue of my big bald head being in the way. So I sit at the back. I sit on the bleachers. Um, even back there, you know, people weren't on top of each other. They were, they were just being courteous and they were being polite. And it was great to see because you had the sense that people all wanted to be there and that they were willing to do what they needed to do in order for this to be a safe environment. So kudos to everyone involved for that. Now, as far as the card is concerned, we had, I don't want to say we had sort of a, a mishmash of things, but this was sort of your typical PCW roster event, but it was not everybody that you always see there. So it was clear that you've got I'll say some concerns probably from certain talent members to say, okay, I'm not quite ready to go back yet, which, you know, that's fine. That's perfectly understandable. But I don't want to say that that's the full truth. It's sort of an assumption of mine based on some things that I've heard and seen talked about and whatnot. But uh, moving forward from there in terms of talking about the actual um, card itself, you had, I think it was five total matches on the event here this evening. I'm trying to thumb through my notes as I'm talking here. But yeah, five five matches in total. And started off with a pretty cool moment in that you had two kids who were making their debut in the world of professional wrestling, that being referee Jesse Chapman and a uh, new wrestler, new talent, Cooper Housley. Uh, Cooper's uh, another, and uh, also Jesse, are both trainees from the Palmetto Wrestling Academy. They were making their debut this evening, or on that particular evening, uh, involved with a match featuring tie-dye Sunrise James Johnson, who himself is pretty much, you might as well go ahead and say, a product of the 
PWA as well because he's been training there and with Ethan Case for a very long time. Didn't begin his training there, but he, he was lucky enough to be able to transition into being a part of that system early on in his training and has improved by leaps and bounds from where he was initially. So a uh, fun match there. Definitely you could see the feeling out process is in play for Housley. Um, he was in there with the right guy in terms of Johnson being able to work with him through some things. Uh, didn't feel like a very you know, overly choreographed match because that's the, the thing that a lot of new guys, they get in there and they're like, all right, I got to know spot A through F and then the finish. And they want it to be totally broken down in front of them. I didn't get the impression that that was what happened here because it was some fluidity of the match and a lot of fun to seeing these guys enjoy the opportunity to work together for the first time in public. Uh, they were supposed to have all made their debut, you know, Ch- uh, Chapman and Housley, that is, back in February. But, of course, that event never happened. So push it forward to September, and suddenly they're now full-fledged members of the roster, and they're able to continue competing now that they are graduates of the PWA. So good on those guys. Look forward to seeing their continued evolution and uh, growth in terms of what they do as things go forward there. Uh, Next match on the card kind of evolved out of the first match because after the uh, first match was over, uh, Beauty and the Peach, that being PJ Ellis and Sammy Ray Vaughn, they emerged out of the back there and started to sort of run down not only Housley, but also all the members of the PWA and even the trainer there, Ethan Case. They were talking about how they're the best prospects that ever come out of the PWA. And, of course, that led Ethan Case to return and to come out into the event space there. And it winds up that he's challenging P.J. Ellis to a match. It was supposed to have taken place later on in the card, but then P.J. ran his mouth a little bit more, and it uh, kicked off. A fun combination of things here. You had a scenario breakdown to where P.J. was selling an injury, and, of course, it was fake. Um, Sammy Ray Vaughn got in the ring and low blowed case. It was, it was a very convincing, uh, ruse that was played out there. Very cool to see that kind of thing involved in a show like this. Not the first time that they've done an injury angle to someone and it'd be kind of a, a you know, pulling the rug over someone type moment, but you know, it's still very cool. Uh, very enjoyable match case did get the victory, uh, so it was cool, you know, to see the sort of big man, smaller man dynamic there as well. Because P.J. Ellis, if you've never seen him before, he used to go by the name the Kodiak. Uh, I, th- I think I kind of like the Kodiak better than I do the Peej, but it works within the realm of he and his I think, fiance. I don't think they're married yet, but I think they're they're definitely engaged. Um, him and Sammy, they they work very well together. So it works in the context of what they've got going. Uh, third match there was actually an eight-man scramble that uh, would determine the new number one contender for the Soda City Championship. The Soda City Championship is PCW's sort of mid-tier title. It, uh, it would be very much equivalent to like a intercontinental type uh, belt there, or a TV title if they had TV. Uh, in the match, you had Jesse Barton, Meltman, Donnie Ray, Starboy, BK Westbrook, Kay Holiday, the megastar Drew Hood, Sean Legacy, real Josh Cutshaw, and White Mike. Uh, the overall winner of the match would wind up 
being star boy BK Westbrook. He becomes the new number one contender for the Soda City Championship. The real surprise in this whole thing um, is some news that's kind of come out of this match. Uh, and the, the great contest all ball involved. It was, you know, a situation like this or a match format like this is always difficult to pull off because you have so many moving pieces. But they staged it in such a way that everybody had an opportunity to really cut loose and to show what they were capable of. So it was very well put together, I thought. But sort of the, the, the bigger news to come out of this even more so than uh, Westbrook being the winner is the notion that White Mike has been voicing some very cryptic things on social media. I'm under the impression that he is on the verge of retiring from active competition, which of course would bring an end to the Gymnasty Boys, which is kind of heartbreaking in a lot of ways because they were one of the top tag teams in this area. So it, it's very you know upsetting if that's the case, if he's actually going to you know, call it a career. But for some of the reasons that, he, that he's been touting, you know, talking about wanting to be a family man and spend more time with his kids and be you know that level of person, I can't argue with that. I can't find a fault with that at all in any way, shape, or form. So if that's his wish, then more power to him. Because he's been involved with the um, business for, I think, 13 years, he said. It's somewhere in between 13 and 15, but uh, yeah, if that's his choice, then more power to him. Fully support him and whatever he's going to do there, because Lord knows he's provided lots of entertainment to people like me over the years. So uh, I would hope that he's not gone forever, uh, but at the same time, if that's his decision, then that's the man's decision. So we may have seen one of White Mike's final performances. Uh, there was some talk beforehand to where people were wondering, you know, where they might be, they being, of course, the Gymnasty Boys, because uh, there was talk here back earlier in the year to where uh, the belief was put out there that they would only be appearing for Palmetto Championship Wrestling in South Carolina. And, you know, that that may or may not ever be a situation that has to be bothered with now. So it is what it is. But moving from there, you know, we took to intermission, looked around the crowd. I'd say it was between 180 and 200 souls there all together. Very good turnout for what was their first show back. Uh, you know, you had so much concern over whether or not people would actually want to come back. And they clearly do. They clearly have a desire for professional wrestling and for just entertainment in general. Because people have been cooped up for so long. The opportunity to see anything, especially you know something of this nature, is going to be really profound to a lot of people. So, uh, kudos to all the folks who came out and made this show interesting as it was, because nothing's worse than to go to a show when there'd be nobody there, I just or very few people. It, it, it becomes very stressful to try and watch or to be involved with, because it's like you know when someone in the ring is trying to get the fans to react or whatnot, and there's five people there, and it's like. Yay! And it just sort of dies, you know. It's it's, it's tough. You so see, you want a crowd, you hope for a crowd, and they definitely had one there at uh, PCW this past Saturday. Now they've already announced the next date. It will be October 24th, back at the Seven Oaks Park venue there. So if you're interested in being a part of that audience. 
might want to go ahead and start looking at tickets. Uh, they had been selling pretty good in advance here for this show, so I don't think they would really sell out, but it, it probably would be pretty close, especially if people see what happened at this event and they say, okay, well, maybe it's maybe it's worth pursuing again. Maybe it's time to get back out in the real world. And that's, you know, that's the great thing about this is that if it really inspired and brought people to a point where they said, okay, well, we can get back to this, we can we can start to be a little more normal, then that would be a fantastic thing and probably the best thing that could come out of it. And last thing we'll talk about in regard to that next show, there was a teaser um, vignette skit, whatever you want to call it, played there on the Jumbotron in the venue that is teased, or that did tease the return of Drew Adler to the promotion, which, of course, Drew is the current holder of the PCW heavyweight title. He's been out of action for quite some time, though. Had to have uh, double hip surgery. Had some, I think, some resurfacing done on his hips there. Um, Been out for a while, but is now apparently ready to return and ready to get back to action. So we're looking forward to seeing him back in PCW next month. What about said next month? This month. We're already in October, for crying out loud. My goodness, time's getting away from me. Oh, it does that all the time. And, you know, the next match on the card was a tag team match. You had the debuting tag team of the Influencers. Of course, they've worked together before, but not under this name. Uh, You had Chance Riser and Patrick Scott teaming up to take on All Worm No Soul, which, of course, is five-star worm Joey Ford and the Ginger Ninja Brady Collins. Uh, The Influencers did get the win here, but it was under dastardly deeds because uh, Scott snuck in, struck Brady Collins with a loaded fist as Ryder, excuse me, as Riser was distracting the official, allowing them to get the win. Uh, two very talented teams there. I doubt that's the last time we've seen them pairing off in this promotion. Likely we'll see them involved with, uh, I'd say, the tag team divisions elsewhere in the Carolinas as well, because... As good as these guys are together, there's just it's just sort of natural booking is what it amounts to. And the main event for the evening, good old Soda City Championship match here between the current champion, the working team captain, Owen Knight, and body positive, as he's now calling himself, Fluffman, Cody Fluffman. Uh, you know, the, the story behind Fluffman is that he's had this real... I don't want to use the term lovable loser, but he's sort of the underdog everyman type that has had this real meteoric rise up from being a trainee at the Palmetto Wrestling Academy to now being this, again, this real beloved sort of um, doughball type character. He's he's very much a Dusty Rhodes type in that he doesn't look like a whole lot, but he still has a tremendous amount of heart and desire to be involved in professional wrestling. So to see him come up from being, you know, literally nothing to now, he actually did win the Soda City Championship to being a champion. It's been a pretty awesome ride to see because it's one of those deals to where if you're a fan of PCW and you've been to a lot of their shows, you've seen this guy's evolution. He's gone from being a, you know, security guard type hand all the way up to now being one of the champions with the promotion. So it's been really cool to see how he has developed and evolved over the years. And it's pretty neat to see, you know, an actual product of one of our local dojos having success and having, you know, an opportunity to build uh, some history for themselves. So kudos to old Fluffman there. 
and coming away with a uh, championship so that he'll be able to, to defend hopefully for you know months, maybe longer to come. Who knows? We'll have to see what the career of old Fluffman has to, uh, to do with things. Well, that was a very fun show. A lot of uh, enjoying, enjoyable moments there. Uh, very much looking forward to the event on October 24th. Uh, don't have any card information for that one just yet, other than, as we mentioned there, apparently Drew Adler will be returning. Um, looking forward to just seeing another show and to uh, really you know, feeling another sense of normal because that was something uh, that I mentioned to promoter of the company Shane Dore and to a few other people there as well it was just nice to be in an environment that felt like where you ought to be on a Saturday night as opposed to in a house or somewhere where you're isolated it was just very nice to have that comfort you know and it was very cool so I hope that we can continue to as a people work together to maintain hygiene levels to maintain safety protocols because that was definitely on play here, or in play here. You had people wearing masks, using sanitizer, sitting apart from one another. It was just very uh, cool to see and very well done by everyone involved. So can't speak more highly of uh, what we experienced there. And, uh, again, very much looking forward to October 24th, back there at Seven Oaks Park in Columbia, South Carolina, for PCW's next show. All right, folks, we're going to take a break here and listen to some tunes Get something to drink here, maybe, and then we'll come back and go into segment number three here on the program, where we're going to talk about some of my current TV viewing stuffs, some things that have been wrapping up, some things that are ramping up. Stay tuned. Be back in a few. Show me how to lie, you're getting better all the time And turning all against the one, it's an art that's hard to teach Another clever word sets off an unsuspecting earth As you step back in the line, while a mob jumps to their feet And dance, fuck your dance, man he never had a chance And no one even knew, it was really only you And now you steal Good morning. 
Welcome back, gang. Thank you for continuing to hang out with us here on the old Weekly Shrimp Podcast as part of the Wrestling with Redbeard YouTube channel. We've been, you know, here recently we've talked a lot about TV programs that I'm watching, streaming programs, I guess I should say, because they're not all isolated to TV, even though I'm watching them mostly on my nice big Bravia TV here that I have from Sony, all that big 4K loveliness that I've got up there in the living room now. But be that as it may, uh, several programs that I've been enjoying. And just to give you a heads up, when I get into this type of talk, just assume that spoilers are going to abound. Because uh, I sort of automatically assume that the programs, which I'm somewhat falling behind on, if you haven't seen them, then guess what? It's just too late. So I'm going to talk about them as if we have all been on the same keel and we're all nice and caught up, or at least to the point where I am anyway. And that's going to lead off in talking about the first show that I wanted to sort of bring up here. And it's one that has just finished its first season, matter of fact. And that is the HBO production Raised by Wolves. You know, this one, I'm, I'm still not real sure what to make of this. It's clearly a space drama. The premise of this, if you've never seen the show before, is that it is a dystopian future, far off. I think it was one point, or it was mentioned at one point that this is around 130 or 150 years in the future, somewhere like that. So multiple generations from now. But the conditions on Earth have degraded to a point through war and other things going on that the uh, planet is no longer habitable. So you have these two groups these two really warring factions of people uh, who are represented as either believers of uh, Saul. I, I can't pronounce the the name that they're identified with, but they're believers of a religion represented by a deity named Saul. Saul is sort of like a uh, sort of a sun god almost. They never really clarify where the premise of Saul came from. So I don't know if this was some extension of like a biblical thing or what, but they, they never have cleared that up. But at any rate, you have those folks there, and then you have the atheists, who of course are pragmatic and not believing anything at all in terms of a deity representing the higher power or whatnot. And they have fought wars, they've fought battles, you know, the whole thing there has gone on. And now they're to a point where they've ruined the planet, everything is been consumed in terms of natural resources, uh, anything really that could be used to sustain life. So now they have to go off and look for somewhere else to live. And they've found a planet that they are sort of gunning for. Uh, you have, we'll say, several landing parties that become involved in this thing. You have one group, which is the primary group we follow throughout the entire season, represented by a pair of androids, mother and father. And they have within their landing craft a set of embryos that are going to be something that they are human embryos, that is, that uh, they're going to attempt to raise on this new planet and have them be the progeny of a new uh, run of humanity. The thing of it is, they get there and they start, you know, churning out these little test tube babies. That the food and a lot of the surface of you know this planet they're on is radioactive. So they all but one wind up dying of what can only be assumed various forms of cancer and whatnot by having been exposed to all this radiation. 
So then in the meantime, the uh, soul believers, they show up in their ark type uh, spacecraft that they have thousands of people aboard this thing. And it's around this time that mother, the female quote unquote Android starts to remember she had some other programming at one point in time. Turns out she's what they refer to as a necromancer. She was a, a combat android who was capable of really huge amounts of destruction. Um, and she goes off and just waylays the landing craft of the Ark, and all, all hell breaks loose there as far as you can imagine. Um, but you know, going to fast forward past some things there because there's some people who wind up surviving from the you know, the crash of the Ark, and there's some folks involved there who were not who they claimed to be. And, you know, it, it metamorphoses into one thing after another. And then it winds up towards the end of the season to where you've got several people who are apparently pregnant. And I know I'm jumping around here, but this is it's a crazy show that you would have to watch in order to really get all the nuts and bolts of it anyway. But it turns out that there are several people who are pregnant as it gets towards the end of the, the season. One of them is a young girl who was apparently raped during the transition from Earth to this planet they're on now. It took several years of transition. I think it, it took like 15 years or so to get to where they are in terms of actual time. Of course, this is you know one of those uh, futuristic scenarios to where like hypersleep or cryosleep is, is possible. So they haven't aged, but it's been 15 years. But uh, apparently this um, girl was raped during the transition process. And um, she is now, of course, getting close to coming to term. But it turns out that Mother, the female android, is apparently in some way, shape, or form pregnant as well. well how does an android get pregnant? Well, she found a way to... And again, here we're getting more in the deep end of the show. She found a way to commune with the man who had programmed her. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's just crazy stuff. And it, it's not even the worst of it because you know they think, okay, well, she's going to have this baby and it's really developing quickly. Well, she didn't have a baby. She had a flying space leech thing. Yeah, and I don't even know how to describe it. But the show ends with episode 10 in such a way that there's really no conclusion to anything. It, it just sort of ends, and it's like, all right, we'll see you next season. And it's the worst possible ending to a show, because guess what? Maybe there's never a season two. Maybe they decide, oh, well, this wasn't worth the money we put into it. We're just going to stop here. So what did you accomplish? It's terrible. I hate that kind of thing. And, you know, that's the reason why, like, people wanted a second season out of Watchmen. At least with Watchmen, there's a nice, tidy ending to it to where they could say, okay, we're done. And it still makes sense. With this, you have no ending to anything. None whatsoever. It's just, it's terrible. I mean, it's good if there's going to be a second season or a follow-up in some way, shape, or form. But if this is it, then it's like, well, I, I've wasted 10 hours of my life here in trying to decipher what this show is about. But, you know, whatever. It, it was a show that I was interested in because of the fact that really Scott was involved and it seemed like it was going to be a great thing. And it's been entertaining. It's been very interesting. But it's just like, please, have a payoff. Don't let me invest this much of my life and then don't reward me with anything at all. <sighs> just very frustrating in that regard. But, be that as it may, there is good news. There, there are good shows out there that are very rewarding. 
And in the case of the one that I'm going to talk about here next, I'm sure it's going to be rewarding because we're approaching the second season of The Mandalorian. Yes, the supposed savior of the Star Wars universe, or at least the one that the mouse Mickey and Disney co-own. Uh, it's really remarkable how this has been the one thing of all the stuff that Disney has produced while owning the Star Wars uh, universe, that this is the thing that has really brought them the most attention. It's crazy to think that it took a show about a Mandalorian and what people are assuming is a, a baby version of Yoda, but it's, of course it's not. It's a, a child from his species or to, uh, the closest approximation there, too. We don't really know how old the uh, child is. Because, of course, Yoda's species lives to be very, very old. Um, but we've, we've gotten some more news. We've gotten some more cool things that started to crop up as a result of some leaks here and there. There was, I'll say, some tumultuous um, news here a little bit ago. A couple of weeks ago, you started to see some news about Pedro Pascal, who, of course, is the actor who is playing the Mandalorian. He's actually inside the costume and whatnot. Uh, there was some news that alleged that he had sort of had a uh, hissy fit or a, a, some type of tantrum about halfway through the recording of the or filming of the second season, and that he was kind of on the outs. And the premise of his problem, allegedly, was the fact that he felt like there should be more time given to the Mandalorian character outside of the helmet. He wanted to take the helmet off more often, apparently, from what reports were. Whether or not they were true, who knows. But the fact of the matter remains, there were a lot of rumors around saying that this was the case. And, you know, it, it got some traction. But, you know, it's come to pass that, you know, people who were in the know have said, you know, we had a little bit of an issue there, but we've squashed it. So apparently he has settled whatever issue he had there. I don't know that this was really at all true because you have to think, you know, if if he's accepting the role of a character that is a Mandalorian, he's going to spend a lot of time in the armor. And, you know, even though there is premise for a you know, character such as his who takes off the helmet quite frequently, we've seen that happen in Rebels, we've seen that happen in other programs, he was going to be, you know, of the sort of true, I guess, Mandalorian uh, class structure or whatnot that said, okay, this is this is you, this is what you need to go by here, this is your identity more or less. And, you know, that's understandable. But you know, you had to think, okay, well, he had, he, as in Pedro Pascal, had to be aware, okay, well, you're accepting this role where this is going to be your identity. Well, hear your voice, but your face is going to be this metal helmet here. And whether or not all that news of him being upset and wanting to, you know, spend more time outside the helmet, whether or not all that was true, we'll probably never know. But I'm going to base at least my thoughts on the idea that it would have been pretty dumb for him to say, yeah, I want to take the helmet off, knowing that the character lives in the helmet. I mean, they had to have explained that to him at some point in time and say, hey, you know, this is the way it is. If he still accepted the role, then that's on him. You know, you can't take you can't take it back from that point there and say, oh, well, you never told me. At some point, yes, I'm sure they told you. They had to. 
it, it's not the kind of thing that they leave out. You know, they don't concoct a character that is going to be you know, this, that, and the other. And then they turn around and it'd be something else. They couldn't do that. There would be, it would be a shit show all over Hollywood. And although, you know, I say that, that's, that seems to be kind of what happened with Jared Leto and the version of the Joker that he had. He was apparently convinced that there was going to be more to that than what there really was. So, yeah, that that there might have been some genuine uh, issues in terms of the way that was done. But I don't think that was the case with Pedro and The Mandalorian. I, I think it's just kind of a misunderstanding type thing. But regardless, very happy to see this coming to a... Uh, screen near us in the very near future, October fourth, October fortieth, October thirtieth. I'm glad there's not an October fortieth. Of all the years where there would be forty days in a month, 2020 would be it. But uh, October thirtieth, uh, new shows, new episodes of The Mandalorian will be streaming, and we'll get to see what happens with good old Baby Yoda. We'll get to see apparently uh, live action Ahsoka Tano because guess what? We've got a bit of a spoiler on our hands in terms of her appearance and what she's going to look like as the character. And guess what? It was spoiled, apparently, by, of all things, a toy company. Toy companies have historically been terrible when it comes to trying to keep anything under wraps in terms of a creature design or something that they really wanted to, you know, keep from uh, being spoiled. They, they wanted to you know, have a surprise to something like, I'll give you an old story here. Um, the story goes that when Independence Day, the Will Smith movie, Independence Day, was being filmed, that the producers really wanted to keep the look of the aliens under wraps. They didn't want anybody to know what this thing looked like. So it would be a really you know cool reveal when, because if you remember from the movie, there's the scene where, um, after Will Smith has been in a dogfight with one of the alien craft, it crashes. He's crashed as well, but he goes over to the craft, pulls the fuselage open there, and this thing sort of comes out at him. And he punches it in the side of the head, and it faints or whatever. But you know, it was that moment there where you see this thing the first time that wanted that they wanted uh, the filmmakers. That is, they wanted that to be a big reveal. Well, guess what? A couple of months before the movie shows up. Suddenly, the toy designs are released as part of some media event, and they have all the aliens out there for people to see. So it's ruined. You have no concept of what a good surprise it could have been now because of the fact that the toy manufacturer went out and showed off what they had been making. Now, that's a breakdown of communication at some point in time. That may be what happened here as well because... There was some uh, artwork produced by Hasbro. Uh, I think this was for the um, lightsaber edition that they're going to have for Ahsoka. Um, but there was some artwork on the box that is very clearly Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka. Um, it's cool looking. It's very neat. But it was like, okay, well, this shouldn't have been our first glimpse of this character. It should have been on the show. But instead, it's on the side of a box. My impressions of it is that it's clearly a older, more mature Ahsoka, which is what you would expect because in the in the context of the timeline, she is certainly older than she would have been at the end of, um, for example, the Rebels cartoon or the series. I shouldn't say cartoon; it was a series, 
animated series. There you go. That's the proper terminology, animated series. Um, so it, it figures in. It's looking like it should be there. And, you know, it's really going to be cool to see what she looks like in a full-fledged episode there, walking around the flesh and not just, you know, this sort of dull, flat, 2D image on the side of a box, which in this case is on... Of course, you know, your monitor, so it gets even more degraded from there. You lose quality every time you step down with one of these things. But looking forward to seeing all that goes on with The Mandalorian. I'm a couple of episodes behind on the last two shows I'm going to talk about here, which is, of course, The Boys in Lovecraft Country. Last weekend, I didn't stay up on things as I should have, so i got to get caught up here in the next couple of days. Uh, with the boys and also Lovecraft Country. I've been adoring both of those shows. Lovecraft Country is my favorite, though, head and shoulders above the rest. Really just continue to be impressed as hell with that show. It's such a, you know, it, I talk about Raised by Wolves being this crazy thing, but Lovecraft Country is much more, I, I don't want to say identifiable, it's much more consumable in that the stories of, like, you know, family drama, and, you know, just issues in terms of community relations and this kind of thing, they're much more understandable and approachable. Um, and like I say, consumable for someone in the, you know, this uh, timeline that we're in here. Because realistically, the timeline that Lovecraft Country takes place in was not that long ago. It's within the past, you know, 40, 50 years. So, again, just a great show. It's, a, it's still an opportunity for you to jump on and be a part of it because we're approaching the end of the season here now, but we've still got a couple episodes to go before we get there. So plenty of time to catch on, catch up, and get involved there. The boys, I think I'm two episodes back on them now, so I really am I'm getting behind with that. I've got to get back on track with that for sure. Um, I'm sure by now something... Even more incredulous and crazy has happened than what was going on at the last episode I saw, which involved a speedboat being rammed into the side of a whale. Yeah, that was just nuts there. So it's, it's, it's another one of those visuals where you can only see it in the context of that show and it be pulled off in such a way that it actually made sense. So, yeah, it is what it is there. But lots of good shows, lots of good stuff that uh, is out there. I'm looking forward to maybe getting in on um, American Horror Story. I never have watched that show, but I understand that all seasons of it are on Netflix now, so I'm, I may start tuning into that. Um, and apparently there's a, a show called Shit's Creek. It's not spelled like, you know, Poo Creek. It's spelled S-H, or excuse me, S-C-H-I-T-T, uh, Shit's Creek. So uh, people have said that's just hilarious and that I need to be watching that, so I may try that one as well. But lots of good stuff out there to enjoy on TV land these days. Tell us about something that you are enjoying in the comments. Uh, if you have any kind of a recommendation for something that I might enjoy, put that out there as well. Be glad to take a gander at one of these shows and you know, give a review, give uh, some insight to it there as well if we start watching it and enjoy ourselves. So we're going to take a break here. We'll get in one more musical interlude, and then we'll come back with the good old send-off that we always like to have here on Wrestle with Redbeard, that being What's Redbeard Drinking? Stay tuned, folks. Be back in a few.
Hey, 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 welcome back, gang. Thank you for continuing to hang out with us here on the Weekly Trim as part of the Rassimilar Redbeard YouTube channel or Anchor.fm or our Spotify presence or whatever platform you happen to be listening to or experiencing this here content. We appreciate you. We're glad to have you, and we hope that you have enjoyed hanging out with us here on this episode of the program. I want to wrap things up as we typically do here on the old weekly trim with a edition of What's Redbeard Drinking? And at this point in the show, I typically am parched, talking for an hour, does a bit of a D on the old throat, and it's just time for something cold to drink. It's typically something cold. I don't think I've ever reviewed anything that was warm on here before. Anything that had to be served warm, that should be. Maybe I, you know, I've I've gotten some questions before about well, would you ever review other things like, you know, uh, a new coffee or a new soda or whatnot? Sure, absolutely. It's just typically this is a reason for me to have a beer at the end of a recording session. <laughs> so that's just the way we we do things. But you know, I'm open to suggestion. If you have something out there that you'd like for me to take a experience of. By all means, submit it in the comments, and I will be glad to see if we can find it at one of our local purveyors and go from there in terms of bringing my review to you guys out there in TV land. No, not TV land. This is internet land. Yeah, that's right. Sure. So for for this evening, I know I promise you I haven't been drinking yet. This is just sort of where I am mentally right now. I, I'm I'm somewhere between an infant and a 13 year old. It's it's where I I tend to be anymore. Period. But it is what it is. I blame having a I've got a soon to be six year old son. That's what I blame it on. Yeah, right. Like like I wasn't this way before we had a child. Right. <laughs> anyway, this week we have Bud Light Platinum Seltzer Wildberry Hard Seltzer, and this is a very cool looking can. I have to say right off the top of the bat. It has, and this is a, an odd descriptor, but it has kind of a, it has kind of a Black Panther vibe to it. That's the color is actually more of a, a deep purple than black. But you know his costume at certain times did have a sort of purple sheen to it there. But this is a very cool looking can in terms of the way it's laid out. It's got the Anheuser Busch logo presented above the other logos here. Uh, it's, it's a stacked logo as well because you got the Anheuser-Busch logo, Bud Light logo, the Platinum logo, Seltzer, the little, little bar thing there, and then Wildberry with Hard Seltzer. And then it reports with um, a big font there at the very bottom. This is an 8 percenter. This is getting up there, folks. You know, this is not playing around anymore with these ABVs on these things. It used to be, you know, typically you saw between 4 and sometimes like four and a half. Sometimes it pushing the extreme. You'd see a five percent. This is eight percent, though. This is really unheard of territory for a Budweiser product, especially because they're usually around that four point two percent with these things. But this is, as we said, Bud Light Platinum Seltzer Wildberry. In terms of the flavor variety, I don't know if there are that many of these things in terms of the flavor varieties that are out there. This one we just happened to see on um, on the shelf at one of our local gas stations because I've described before on this show how typically whenever I'm buying something to review, I try and buy something that I can pick up as a single as opposed to a six-pack because if I have to buy six of them and I wind up hating it, other chances are that I'm going to hate everything that that company makes from then 
than from that point forward. That is just the way I am. But you know, with these uh, to where you can buy singles, it uh, works out in my favor. So that's what this was. And um, we got it home, got it good, nice, cold. And now we're prepared to give you a review of this. I first wanted to go through and actually give the description. You know, these these cans, they've gotten terrible because some of them, I, I'm sure whatever box or whatever typical container these things come in, the description probably is on that. But on the individual cans, there's no description whatsoever. So I had to go out to the web to find a description of this thing. And uh, this is from drizzly.com. The product description they have for it there is... Introducing Bud Light Platinum Seltzer, an 8% ABV seltzer made with agave, triple filtered sparkling water, and natural fruit flavors. This premium seltzer is made for the night. And that, you know, that might be kind of an explanation as to the color combination on the can here. That's, that's cool. But, you know, um, one thing that's, that's a little bit weird here, or not weird, but the one thing that might throw this to a different level or to some maybe peculiarities in terms of the flavor profile is the agave. You know, the, the agave is a ingredient you see in some liquor and whatnot as a sweetener type thing. Uh, we'll have to see if this plays into that because with this being part of the platinum series, you know, this is sort of Bud Light and it's all about, you know, counting calories and this and the other. So we'll have to see how the agave plays into this as a sweetening aspect of things. Um, but here we go. We're going to pop the top on this guy, and we'll see how it goes. The top, uh, the pop, whatever you want to call it, the pull tab, I should say, um, has a kind of a pink-purple vibe there as well. So this is a themed can all the way around. Pretty cool what they've done here. And as I struggle to get my fingers underneath this thing here, I'll tell you what, this has just become a, a chore here recently for me to open these damn things anymore. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. All right, there we go. And got it open. And now we will begin the pour so we can give an idea of what the color on this is. I always like to put this into a glass. Uh, any of the, the beverages we review, I like to give them a pour so we can give you a sense of what the color might be there as opposed to just, you know, not telling you what these things look like. Here we go with the pour. All right. There we have it. And it is a it is a seltzer through and through. There is no artificial coloring or whatnot here. This is a completely clear fluid. Um, does not have a tremendous amount of carbonation. It does have a good bit, though. Of course, it's uh, seltzer, so you would expect it to have a fair amount of carbonation in there. Some of these things, I've looked at them before, and when you pour them, even if you don't all that aggressively pour them, they wind up having a head that makes them look like Alka-Seltzer. But this does not do that at all. This was a nice steady amount of um, uh, of um, bubbly. <laughs> That's not the term. I, this is a nice steady amount of uh, effervescence that we got going on here. So not uh, not an, an opposing drink here whatsoever, at least at first. So let's go ahead and put the nose to it and see what the aromatics are. Hmm, interesting. Not a very pronounced aroma there whatsoever. Um, that's, it is a, you pick up a little bit of a berry type flavor, which this is of course, the, the name of this one is wild berry. So this is, could be some combination of blueberries, raspberries, uh, who knows what all they've got in here. Cherry, maybe uh strawberry, who knows, 
but not a whole lot of aromatic there. That's somewhat surprising because you would think with these, they want to usually kind of hit you up front with whatever the flavor is going to be. And by giving it a somewhat bold aromatic approach, they can usually put that over to you because you, of course, before you ever actually taste something, you see it and you smell it as well there. Let's put the nose to it one more time here, see if we can pick up anything more than that. No, still kind of the same thing. That's that's interesting. Well, not a very bold um, aromatic experience, but we'll see what the flavor profile is like here. We're going to put it to the lips and see how she goes. This, again, is Bud Light Platinum Seltzer uh, 8% ABV Wild Berry Flavor. Here we go. Hmm. Well... You know, I say, huh, because I'm trying to process the experience, and there's just, there's just not a whole lot there, honestly. It's a nice, crisp beverage. Of course, I get these nice and good and ice cold before I do my reviews here, but there's just not a whole lot of flavor here. It's nice, clean, crisp in terms of the flavor profile, easy to drink. But I, I just, I was, I guess, I was expecting a bit more in terms of the berry flavor. But it's just not there. It's that's interesting. Maybe this plays into the idea of it being part of the platinum line there, with it being sort of a a diet beer or a, or a light beer. Um, but there's just not a whole lot there. That's surprising, huh? And there there is a um, you know a hint of berry flavor there. It's just not punch in the face berry flavor, I guess you could say, which is not bad necessarily. But you just there's not quite enough there. It could be a little bit more, and it would be really ideal, because it's it's a very, as we said, clean, uh, crisp finish. There it does not linger on the palate in terms of it being too bold to, you know, be accompanied by whatever you're eating or what have you. It's just there's not a whole lot of flavor there, so it's not a, a competitive flavor in terms of anything else you might be experiencing while enjoying this. So, um, yeah. Uh, let's give it a try here and see if there's anything else that comes out of this. Huh, interesting. Hmm. Well, again, not bad. Just not a whole lot there. And I'm surprised and I'll, I will say almost a little bit disappointed as well because I was expecting there to be a little bit more of an emphatic berry flavor and it just isn't there and i didn't want it to be you know like i didn't want it to be like four loco berry or something like that to where it makes you feel like you're drinking kool-aid with 10 scoops of sugar and whatnot in it that was not what i was expecting here in any way shape or form but i wanted a little bit more flavor out of this so it's it's not great it's not bad Definitely a clean finish, definitely easy to drink, definitely something that you could have four or five of and probably not even realize what you had done, but it's just not a whole lot of flavor there. And I, I think you could probably put maybe some, I don't know, some other type of mix in with this and it'd be a little bit better than what it is, like maybe some grenadine, for example. Um that would be the first thing that comes to the, to my mind in terms of what you might use to bolster this a little bit. But you know, again, not bad, not great. Just kind of kind of ho hum. It's kind of basic, which 
that's you know that's the joke about these seltzers anyway is that they're so basic bitch in terms of the <laughs> the whole thing and this this i guess you would say is pretty much in that uh, in that ballpark in terms of it being a very basic beverage that uh just about anybody could approach and enjoy um you know this is one of those things where it's hard to give a a real honest and clever review to because is it bad? No. Is it what we wanted? Is it what we expected? Is it what we thought we were going to get? No. So I don't want to give it a bad score because it's not a quality product. The quality is actually quite high. Um, but I, I don't enjoy this though because it's not really what I was hoping for. So we're going to go. We're going to put it right in the middle of the road. We're going to give this a five out of ten. Um, drinkable for sure. You could put down these very easily. Um, but in terms of would you really want to? I don't know. It's it's one of these things where if it had just again just a little bit more flavor to it, it would be fantastic. And it's not bad as is, but it's just it's kind of it's too much water and not enough wild berry. <laughs> you know, if it's if that at all makes sense. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that they found a way to put booze in seltzer. But you know, whatever. It is what it is, folks. And this one, um, I'm going to finish this one, but I, I don't think I'll really ever have a reason to search these out again because if there are even other varieties of this thing out there, there probably are. Knowing the way these things go, you get a variety pack and you've got six different varieties of this damn thing because it's not that, you know, you have kind of a base product and then you insert a flavor into it. So I'm sure that's what they've done here as well. But as we said, this one's getting about a five out of 10 there. Uh, easy to drink, just not not a whole lot there in terms of flavor. But we hope that there's been plenty of flavor in this episode of the Weekly Trim. We're glad you guys hung around with us for the entire time here. We're glad that you took a part in what we were doing with this show, and we're glad to have you, period. If you enjoyed what you had here on the show this evening, please uh, give us a like, comment, share, subscribe, all that stuff that we as YouTubers and online personalities are supposed to beg you for. Folks, if you have not already, please remember to wear your mask, remember to wash your damn mask, and I'll meet you further on up the road. <laughs>